Welcome back. And now back to the questions. Please use the microphone. Keep your questions short. No long preambles. We want to get as many questions as we can. State your name, and we'll invite our speaker back up here to keep his answer short, too. Thank you very much. Ed, Ed Bardock, uh, David, uh, I want to let everyone know that as minister for seven years, you echoed what you preach in that you introduced a system that invited the public always to have an open door to challenging decisions at the local level. And I think that was a highlight of your career as minister. My question is, and it's an easy one, the government has been moving step by step and eliminated health boards locally, we now have one super health board. In the light of your discussion, and we hear rumors, we have moved from local school boards in many cases to broader ones, and there seems to be a movement to super school boards. Your comment. I doubt it <clears throat> for three reasons. Uh, and not in any order of importance, one of them is that it appears that the Constitution guarantees that separate school electors have the right to elect a board. I don't think the government would challenge that matter with respect of separate school boards, and so I can't see them removing public school boards and leaving elected separate school boards in place. You know, I can't see Holy Spirit continuing to elect trustees while education, public education in Lethbridge is provided by a super board. So that would be one thing. The second thing is that I don't think it's right to make a comparison with the health boards because they had a very, very, very brief history of election, okay? whereas school boards have a history of more than 100 years of election in Alberta. And so I don't see the government doing it for that reason. And the third reason is that elected school boards are actually a terrific foil for a government that wants to avoid controversy. The thing that worries me is not that they would do away with school boards. The thing that worries me is that they would keep school boards in place and take away all of their responsibility. And then you're left with electing people locally have, who have no capacity to do anything but are always there to take the blame if something goes wrong. That, to me, is the worst-case scenario, leaving elected trustees in place and just successively taking away their responsibilities. Yep. It's, it's been happening for 15 years. You know, I talk about this drift that we have to remedy. I think that's been happening for 15 years. Yeah. Van. Van? Uh, Madam Moderator, and uh, my name is Van Christou. Uh, David, thank you so much for giving us this very, very concise in such a short time, but ex extensive and, and brilliant position of where you are today uh, regarding our public school system. At the table, uh, to, to uh, bring this down to a personal level, I, I mentioned the fact that uh, I grew up in the same, started with uh, the same school that uh, David started at, Bowman School, but I continued on all through for eight years at Bowman School. And during that entire time, I also attended Greek school here in Lethbridge, a school that my parents set up with their, with their friends and which they paid for entirely. In other words, I, th I had a tremendous example, I think, of where my parents gave a good example in supporting the, the public system entirely, and yet because they had a belief 
beyond that, providing for it entirely themselves. Is it not time that anybody who wants anything but the public system should pay for it themselves today? The association that pays my salary uh, has, <clears throat> has a position on this, um, and uh, it is that they accept limited funding for approved private schools but do not support the current level of funding. Uh, the position of the association is basically that it, we should fund approved private schools at a level that would be between 40 and 50 percent of what uh, public schools get, and the government, of course, is doing more than that now. Um, I support that position personally, uh, and I'll say why now, which might not be the reasons offered by the association corporately. You've got one value, which is public school education, and I value it highly. You've got another value, which is choice, freedom of choice. I would rather that all kids were educated in the public school system. There's no doubt about it. But if someone believes strongly that there is something else they want, I can't find a way of saying in a democratic community, you're not entitled to do that. Right? So that's what creates private schools. Now, if you create them, would you fund them at all? One of the options is to say no. Personally, I can see limited funding for private schools when they're serving the program of studies and the curriculum because I think they are serving a public purpose. If kids are educated and literate, that helps the community. My argument against full funding is that even if they go all of the curriculum and the program of studies, they are not fulfilling the broad range of public purpose that we have in mind. They're not making a commitment to being inclusive. They're not making a commitment to being a model of a civil democratic community. So while personally I would give them something for the limited public purpose that they are pursuing, I wouldn't give it all to them because they're not pursuing the full range of public purpose. Okay. And at that point, somebody could say it should be 50% or 40% or 30%. But at the end of the day, regardless of funding, I would rather that all kids were being educated in public schools. And I would rather that all parents who care about education were making some kind of a commitment to the government of public school education because it, to be successful, it must have everyone's attention. What I forgot to say earlier was that the minister has recently announced an initiative to engage people in talking about the future of K-12 education. This is what he calls inspiring education. I really encourage you to watch out for that term wherever you see or hear newspaper stories. There will be opportunities to participate in regional fora, one of which will be in Lethbridge. We are encouraging our school boards to host similar fora locally so that more people can come together and talk about public school education. So watch out for inspiring education. Participate to whatever extent you can. Encourage your local school board, whether it's Palliser, stand up Palliser, <laughs> or Lethbridge Public. <coughs> um, there's no one here from Lethbridge Public, is there? No. Um, and um, 
uh, encourage people to participate in that. The other thing the minister has said is that he hopes next year to rewrite the School Act. Okay, And so if you've got an interest in the law of education, you should be thinking about that as well. But participate in inspiring education and encourage your board to do similar things locally. Thank you. Austin. Um, Austin Fennell. <clears throat> Um, thanks for coming to speak. Uh, it's not always been easy for this forum to get people to come and speak on education and uh, to make sure that it would be a good turnout to hear that. So it's very important what you've been doing here today. I would like you to address uh, what you regard as positive aspects of the state being involved in education. I mean provincial governments. Um, I think that you're understating the involvement that they already have but I would like to hear you argue the advantages of the state, which by which I mean provincial government in its various facets, being involved in public education. The, the provincial government should be involved in public education to some extent. Okay? And uh, I, I would never argue against that. I spent, as, I, as was said, seven years as Minister of Education so I don't want to turn my back on that. <clears throat> but what, what this thing is all about is a balance. I mean, you, you've heard the old saw, think globally, act locally, okay? Organizational theorists talk about simultaneous, tight, loose systems of organization, okay? What everybody is talking about, no matter what jargon they use, is that there is some purpose for having a big umbrella, Okay? But there is also vital purpose to making it work on the ground. Okay? Why should the provincial government be involved? I think that we are to some extent a community of three and a half million people as Albertans. Okay? Just like to some extent we're a community of 35 million people as Canadians. And so I subscribe to the idea that we should have an equitable distribution of resources across Alberta. I don't believe that there should be educational opportunities available in Calgary because of its size and its wealth that are not conceivable in other communities across the province. So the equitable distribution of core resources is one reason why the provincial government should be involved. Similarly, if we move, statisticians can tell you that most of us tend to move within the province. Okay? In Canada, we move more between provinces than they do in the states. But even so, most of us move from one community to another in Alberta or in Saskatchewan. That said, there is something to be said for the curriculum having some components that are common, whether you live in Lethbridge or, in my case, when I moved to Edmonton. So some core curriculum I would subscribe to as a legitimate ground. The third is to ensure transparency, okay? Ed referred to something that we did 25 years ago. I believe in self-government in local communities, okay? But I can tell you that having traveled through many communities in Alberta, there are some that I would love to live in and there are some I would not want to live in. There are some communities in Alberta that are pretty closed. Okay? Uh, they are pretty intolerant. Um, and we can't stop them from being closed or intolerant, but we can say with respect to education that there are some standards of transparency that you have to meet, even if after meeting those standards you are left alone to make your own decision. Okay? 
at least you're making it with the requirement that you justify it on the basis of people having knowledge. So, equitable distribution of resources, some core curriculum, requirements of transparency in respect of local self-government are three things that come immediately to mind to justify provincial government involvement. But that said, I believe, A, they're way over-involved right now, and B, they've got no sense about what education is all about. When I, was de- when I was minister, the leadership team in the department was 17 people, deputy, four assistant deputies, and 12 directors or executive directors. And of those 17, 15 had been full superintendents of schools or full secretary treasurers, okay? And generally, superintendent in more than one system. If you look at the 17 senior leadership positions in the department today, only two of them have ever been a full superintendent of schools or a full secretary-treasurer. The government, this is not peculiar to Alberta education, the government has said, we do not want people leading departments who are familiar with the content of the department because we're afraid they will become sympathizers to it. That's why the Deputy Minister of Health doesn't have a background in health. That's why the Deputy Minister of Education doesn't have a background in education. So the fact of the matter is that they are great managers of systems, but they don't have any idea what's going on in classrooms. They don't. So we need need to redress the balance, reestablish the balance. We need to reclaim self-government for our communities. First and foremost, in respect of education, Everything I've said about education could be said about municipal affairs five years from now. It's coming to municipal government. And anybody who thinks it's not is deluding themselves. Okay, thank you. Um, Gordon. My name is Gordon Campbell. David, it's good to see you back again. Uh, I want to ask a question about uh, the uh, institute, Fraser Institute. Uh, and I, in asking the question, I'd like to say and protect myself in advance because it was a while ago and my memory is not totally reliable. But uh, my recall is that the Fraser Institute issued a report card on schools of Alberta uh, and it compared uh, the schools of Alberta, public and private, to my knowledge, and they found to, to no astonishment of mine because. Fraser Institute is a frankly lobbying institute for private th- everything, mm-hmm. up and down the way, especially corporations. So Fraser Institute found that the, the best school in Alberta was a private school. The best school in Alberta was in Calgary, where the Fraser Institute is well situated. Mr. Lougheed is a very active supporter of the Fraser Institute. And I think the first three or four other members of the top echelon of, of private schools are, are of, of selected best schools of Alberta were, were private schools. I didn't see any comments from your organization uh, on the, the criteria used to make those judgments, and uh, you may want to make a comment or two about that. And secondly, uh, you want also might I make a comment too on another question, a shorter question, I hope, is the position of, the, of your organization on PPPS the building of public schools by non-profitable, mm-hmm. ultimately non-profitable means for the people of Alberta. Thank <clears throat> you. Well, first let me say that I'm raising money to build a new headquarters for the Fraser Institute at the bottom of the Fraser River. <laughs> and, 
my hat will be on the table outside the door, and if you would like to help relocate them, please leave something significant. <clears throat> We've not recently commented on the Fraser Institute reports. We did when they first came out, and our position hasn't changed. Uh, it is it trivializes what is going on. It gives people completely wrong impressions about what causes good things to happen and why some schools that are good schools don't get better marks, okay? Um, you know, you, you take a statistical approach to this and you are losing sight once again of the kids who are real people in the classroom. So we haven't recently commented on the Fraser Institute. If you want to comment, what they are doing is absolutely irrelevant to the true purpose of education. It contributes nothing to public conversation or dialogue, and anybody who reads it and pays attention to it is wasting their time. Okay. Um, on, on P3s, P3s are going to cost all of us more money than historic conventional construction. Okay? The, there are, there's one reason we know of, there's one reason the government has admitted to for doing this, and that is that it takes debt off of their balance sheet. It turns debenture payments into an annual expense okay, rather than a capital cost. Okay? So they've admitted that the reason they are doing it is to take debt off of their balance sheets and be able to treat it as an operating cost rather than a capital cost. The other reason they're doing it is ideological. Okay? And uh, any chartered accountant who ran the numbers would tell you that the P3s are going to cost us more than conventional historic construction. Now, one of the problems is that we say that, and Babcock and Brown or the provincial government say, no, it won't. And we say, yes, it will. Any analysis will demonstrate that. And they say, do the analysis. And we say, show us the terms of the contract. And they say, I'm sorry, the contract is confidential because it includes commercial terms. Okay? Uh, so that's the situation we're in. Now, after 1.30, if somebody would like to sit down and talk about P3s, I think we can walk through it and see, even without numbers, that it just has to be more expensive. But if we had the numbers, there's, there's no question in my mind that that would be the case. Thank you. Trevor. Uh, Trevor Page. Uh, I, I wonder, Mr. King, if you would like to comment on the trend of government funding into public schools in Alberta, say, over the last 10 years. And I would suppose that, uh, and perhaps you could do that without giving us figures, but on a per capita basis. I mean, I would suppose that as we bring in more people to Alberta in classrooms, get to unmanageable sizes, we should be building more schools. But is the level of funding going down? Is it straight lining? Is it going up? What is the direction of public funding to schools in Alberta? The... Uh Public funding of schools in the last couple of years is going up at a rate that 
exceeds marginally the rate of inflation in the province. Okay? And that will almost certainly be true in 2008-9 because the government made commitments early last year uh, before we saw the economy tank in July and August and September and October. So that's the case in the last couple of years, that the cumulative effect is slightly in excess of the consumer price index for Alberta. That follows 15 years of it, being, of it trailing the consumer price index, and so it went into quite a deep trough, the most notable part of which was the 5% rollback in 1994-95. Okay. Uh, so if you say the last two or three years, it's going up. If you take the last 15 years, it is still behind. Okay. An equally serious problem is that since 1994, all funding has come from the provincial government. School boards don't have access to the local tax base. And not only does it all come from the provincial government, but it all comes from the Department of Education. And in generally speaking, school boards are a general purpose government. By our calculation, school boards are dealing with the mandate of 13 different government departments every day. Public health, solicitor general, if the RCMP come in to search for drugs in a locker, and children and family services, the list goes on. So school boards are a local general purpose government. People want to use the school in the evening you know, for the community badminton club or indoor soccer or whatever else. They want to use the school on weekends. They want to use it in the summertime. When all of a board's money comes from Alberta Education, Alberta Education doesn't have any mandate to fund anything other than the program of studies and the curriculum. So Alberta Education does not pay for energy costs if people use schools in the evening. It doesn't pay for custodial costs if uh, you need to have a, a custodian in the school in the evening or on weekends or in the summer. So boards who historically did that because before 94 they had access to the tax base and could pay it themselves, they've continued to do it. They're drawing in their belt while they do it and sometimes they are taking money out of the classroom in order to keep the school open for community purposes. So in addition to needing more money, the more serious immediate requirement in my view would simply be that the government become less prescriptive about how boards use the money they get, let them move it around from place to place, and also the government should provide some funding for school boards that doesn't come from Alberta education, whether it comes from family and community services, no matter. Thank you. Okay, we have time only for one more question. It's uh, almost 1.30, so I'm uh, sorry, Ruth. <laughs> uh, Bev? Bev Mundell-Atherstone, thank you very much. It seems like you, your talk today uh, sounds like the antithesis of the Conservative Party for whom you worked as Minister of Education. And when you're talking about community, it was the community, we had community schools here in Lethbridge, as you and I discussed, Gilbert Patterson, Nicholas Sharon, and others, and they cost minimally 50000 a year to run, exactly what you were talking about in your last question. So I'm wondering, uh, and of course that was killed by, by the province, so I'm wondering what it was in your experience that changed your thinking from the conservative mentality to this more communal, caring uh, mentality of the left? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I've always thought of myself as a red Tory. 
Okay? Uh, I still think of myself as a small P, small C progressive conservative, but I haven't been a member of the party since 1994. I left in 1994 when Mr. Klein uh, revolutionized Alberta. But, but this, this is not about party politics, okay? When I was a, a card-carrying PC, sometimes you have got uh, economic conservatives or you've got religious conservatives or you've got – I mean, there are 10 different kinds of conservatives, probably 15. In that case, I am what I would call a community conservative, okay? I grew up believing okay, that you should forget ideology and do what works in a community, and that you should not be more concerned about philosophy than you are about relationships. So I don't feel that I have changed. And if somebody asked me, I'd still call myself a red Tory, though I've not been a member of the PC party for 15 years. And if you asked me to characterize myself, I'd say I'm a community conservative. When I was an MLA, <clears throat> and I'm very proud of this, I would say to people that I've never done anything for anybody in my constituency. All I did was help them do what they wanted to do for themselves. I represented a constituency in Edmonton that was divided in half. East side was very wealthy. If you know Edmonton, it was Ada Boulevard. And the west side was downtown Edmonton, Boyle Street. There was more, more community initiative and innovation in the poor half of the constituency than there was in the wealthy half of the constituency. Because when you've got it, you don't need to change. When you don't have it, you've got to think about new ways of doing new things. Okay? I don't feel like I have moved. I am a community conservative. Well, I, I probably haven't point. moved as much as I should have. I'm sorry to cut this off because I think there are a lot more questions that could be asked, but I would like to, first of all, remind you of memberships of the two upcoming sessions, one at the university, one at the library, and to thank David King for his enlightening and informative comments today. And thank you all.